Sam. So you've been in London, eh? <laughs> yes, I've been in London, settling my daughter into uh, college. And uh, it's weird. Um, we've, I've just got my son at home now, but I'm getting a little bit more done at work. Um, did you see that Aitchison uh, and Aitchison, the big contract manufacturer that deals with Bulldog and Elemis and various other brands, has and Ameliorate, which is their new brand, has been sold this week. Yes, I saw on Twitter. Isn't that amazing? It, that that came out of the blue for me. I know a lot of people at HSN um, and Congratulations to them, really. And Ameliorate is is a fairly new brand, and for them to be taken over by a bigger um, operator, I think could be really interesting, and it'd be interesting to follow their journey from now. Yeah, absolutely. And as we say, we said before, you need the big muscles really to um, to make it and really crack the market because it's so expensive nowadays with um, all the marketing and, and things. So I also read that Unilever, I think the, the, the title of the article was they kissed 10 ugly frogs before they get a princess or something. And they were talking about their acquisition side of their business, looking at lots of different brands. And they tend to get some some duds before they find the one that they, they really want to go for. But I think it's all the, the, the big ones. There are it's almost like the pharmaceutical industry, isn't it? Like you have um if you think like the the, the independent beauty brands uh, are like the small research firms in the farm pharmaceutical industry who kind of start try to develop a, a molecule or a certain um certain methodology or whatever uh and with indie brands they develop their brands and 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 the story behind it etc and then it's kind of like these bigger firms they, they 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 take it from a certain point and some of them will succeed and some of them won't you know instead of looking at say 10 or 15 brands and and sometimes they pick winners, sometimes they pick losers, and they but they wait to get to a certain size, and then they have to fork out tens of millions, if not more, to buy the brand. If they came in earlier and they bought brands out at a much earlier stage, they could get them for for them for a pittance, um, and they could buy twenty times as many brands, and they would their hit rate would go. Uh, through the roof i think it, i think if they moved quicker and took more risks in that respect they would probably spend less money and get a much better rate of return i mean what do i know i'm not in that market but but that's what it feels like to me looking at all these young brands they could scoop up so many and one of them is bound to be a big hit yeah that's i haven't thought about that but they, i mean they do some of it I, they have these academies don't they where they invite like entrepreneurs and beauty startups um and they have like a community they form a community or some kind of academy and i guess maybe that that's one way of some of these bigger players to to kind of spot the um the rising star so to say early but i i think you have a point there uh because i mean clearly there's no lack of ideas when it comes to skincare brands out there and a lot of talented people um but as as you know entrepreneur that the big what you lack really is is cash first of all but also you lack the know-how to some extent but also maybe just the connections and kind of the the infrastructure uh that exists but it, as a small player it's sometimes hard to kind of get in the get into the infrastructure with pr and the distribution distribution and so on yes and the, the real innovative brands wouldn't go uh within a mile of of some sort of 
Unilever incubator. I mean, that smacks of a death sentence, really. So I think, yeah, it's a good idea on paper, but actually the brands that are really going to do something about it wouldn't go anywhere near something like that. They're too busy forging ahead and they need to be a bit more, um, I don't know, be a bit more adventurous, I think, in their search for what they're looking for to fit their their strategy of acquisitions. Yeah, I think you, yeah, maybe you're right there because, you know, now when you say that, the way I see it's almost like when they start these beauty brand academies, it's it's great. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's bad, and I'm sure there are brands out there who has benefited, but um, you're right. It, it almost feels a bit like a trainee, um, like a graduate, and then they, they have the big players have the, their trainee uh, opportunities, so they have the... Uh, you know the 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 entry levels at the management consultancy firms where you kind of you kind of know what you need to do in order to to fit the uh to fit in and then if you do that then you know there are certain steps that you need to take to to be successful but yeah you're right i mean the the real the real creators the real uh avant-garde brands i mean they you're right they would never they probably wouldn't apply for those be the kiss of death for them i think exactly you're right it would be you're right. Has anything caught your eye this week? Yeah. I was reading about, which I, I've never even, th- well, I, it never occurred to me that it wasn't regulated that much, but tinting of uh, eye, eyelashes and eyebrows. I just assumed that that was under some kind of regulation, but it looks like what what's news to me that none of these tints are approved by the FDA, which makes them illegal in some states. So in California, for example, they are illegal because they're not approved by the FDA. And as, is this home applications or is this um, salons? How does it work? Salons. So, uh, okay. and I was looking and I was kind of trying then to look at what the EU regulation said. And I couldn't really, I mean, obviously there are a list of certain, certain um, components that are regulated, but I couldn't find anything really that states any more more like uh, guidelines or regulations around it and this is something that people do a lot and it's you know you put it very close to your eyes i mean i've i've done it and it it if you get the dye in your eyes it stings you know <laughs> severely stings so um i was just surprised because it's such a common thing that especially eyebrows is the new i don't know it's the new lashes you know it's like everyone's obsessing about their eyebrows all the time and i'm amazed that that wasn't more regulated Coincidentally, uh, two tubes of eyebrow stainer have turned up in our house and I hadn't seen it before. I mean, it's not something I'm uh, involved in in terms of, you know, my day to day workings in the industry. That's not really a a section of it that that I come into contact with. As you say, it is becoming a a much bigger thing. And I think the the only EU regulations was if they contained an ingredient that is any in one of the annexes, unless it's specifically banned. But again, yeah, I must look into that because because it's a new sort of trend and, and a product that I haven't really come across before. It'd be interesting to have a look. I don't know if you know about this, but it was about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, at least in Sweden, uh, it was a big thing where you had this serum they called it serum, that you put on your eyelashes and it it made your lashes grow thicker and longer. And the thing is that this actually worked. I tried it and I know I have a lot of friends who tried it as well. 
but I stopped using it because, uh, well, first of all, it kind of, you know, gave me a bit of an allergic reaction. Uh, but also when I thought about it, like one more time, I thought, well, actually, this is something that's actually affecting how my lashes are growing. I mean, it's it's clearly doing something and I have no idea what it is that's actually <laughs> making my eyelashes grow. Um, and I know that that was banned in Sweden after a year, after I stopped using it. So it was me who stopped using it then was banned. No, but <laughs> I mean, I stopped using it. Then I heard like two years after or something that it was banned completely in Sweden. Uh, did it make them, did it make them longer immediately? I mean, did it have some sort of acrylic or a vinyl no, no, no. in there that sort of extended the lash? No, no, it was nothing like that. It actually affected the growth, like how they grew. So it didn't happen immediately, but it happened like over a few weeks. You could see a difference. So it was. It wasn't. The, it wasn't acrylic. It wasn't like you were building up um, fake lashes, permanent fake. No, it was like it's making your own lashes grow, and that was common. And I've I've seen I've seen it here in the states um, every now and then. Uh, but I, th you know, I I reckon if it was banned in Sweden, it was probably banned in the whole of EU. Um, but you know, again, this is just a proof of something that came up randomly. And people started using it a lot. And obviously there was something wrong with the product or something. I wouldn't say something wrong, but there was obviously something in there that was worth banning. So I need to I need to find that, that ingredient and get it into uh, a shampoo or a hair serum for people <laughs> losing their hair. It exactly. sounds like we've, you've hit on something there. Yeah, no, but exactly. It, exactly, because it actually uh, changed. And then... Uh, but then again, you think especially around the eyes because the eyes are so sensitive. I mean, uh, and again, talking about dyes, I mean, if people are, buy, especially if you don't go to salons, but you actually buy them at home and bring them home and dye your lashes in particular at home. And you have this kind of very harsh dye very close to your eyes. It's not, um, I'm concerned. That way. And and it, the same sort of products uh, dye the eyelashes to dye the eyebrows. I would assume it is the same because they're still they're hair yeah. follicles. So yeah, it'll be the same sort of stuff. I was about to say we may all be redundant anyway because uh, it looks like there are plans afoot to get rid of formulators and hand over to the robots. <laughs> are you talking about uh, your AI anxiety, Sam? You, you've got it. You've got it. Um, you you uh, you alerted me to this to this, and uh, I wondered what you'd read. I think AI again. Who knows? I mean, this is a bit. It's not only beauty industries. Everything, but I think for the beauty industry, I think to me there are two two parts of AI. I think there's the the industry AI, which from a formulation perspective could be interesting. I don't think formulators, as all other jobs out there, will be redundant anytime soon. Um, but, you know, the technology is interesting in terms of finding, because the I wouldn't say it's a problem, but with the, as you know, there are thousands and thousands of ingredients out there. You know, to have a tool to kind of handle all the combinations that's possible and maybe look at certain things and see, well, do the, the math on the big data and, and see really what combinations work and which won't work. Or that goes for stability as well, you know, to see what type of molecules will be stable together, what type of emulsifiers and what type of oils and which won't, you know? Uh, I think that's interesting, but I think also the AI from the consumer perspective where, and again, this is kind of, you know, what Nini does or the idea with Nini with have personalized skincare. I mean, to, to look at 
to scan all data from ingredients to your DNA to all of that, and then basically put that all together and make a, a personalized serum for you. Of course, it's an interesting idea. But then I bring in this whole, what we talked about again and again with skincare, it's about the story and the feel and the ritual as well. So I don't know if if that very clinical, super scientific approach to it will be a hit. I might be wrong, but I think there is a human emotional side as well, which you need in skincare. It is an emotional industry I, from, from, from the feel and the touch uh, of not only the product, but actually the, the touch and the feel of putting it on your skin or having someone else put it on your skin. Uh, AI can, can go into so many different areas w- within the industry, not just the ones we've talked about, but, but also now they're talking about formulation. And as, as you quite rightly say, it can analyze all these ingredients and put things together. Uh, but, but, but as we know, that just putting things together, science is complicated and that doesn't always work just because you you perceive that something should go with something. It doesn't always work. It may not even be as basic as it may not even smell right. And, and also the experience of uh, formulators having had d- decades of using ingredients, that sort of, oh, I, you know, let's chuck a bit more of that in because, in my, you know, I've got experience that if you chuck a bit more of that in, it'll thicken it slightly or um, let's let's put some of that in because I remember a formulation I did, you know, 15 years ago and it really worked well with that and it stopped that happening and it made that happen. Well, you know, a robot can can never learn that because that's all to do with touch and feel and look and experience. But it could formulate in sort of frame formulations, basic frame formulations, but it will, I think, be down to the human formulator to refine it for the consumer. Yeah, I think it also could be an alternative uh, that you have what is mass produced today, if you do make that distinction, like mass produced, more cheaper brands i'm thinking i'm making the parallel to food now compared to the food industry where you have uh processed food and it's quick and easy and it's fairly cheap whereas the fine fine dining and the you know the the slow cooked uh, stew and things it goes so much love and care into that or um you know very um what can i say creative chefs who who are like superstars nowadays and and you know that's a different category of food and i think maybe that's something that will happen in the beauty industry you will have a uh a a mass of products which are maybe you know done by frame formulations like have been based on ai and you know you do this but then you might have a, a niche which is the the fine dining of beauty so you have the nice the touch and feel and the 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 real luxurious brands will have that human touch to it well, it, who knows? Maybe the robots will t- take over, on the other hand. But as long as the humans are in charge, <laughs> I think um, I, I think there is this emotional side of it and the, the human connection, which uh, will be tricky to replace. It sounds very nice on paper to have this super computer who kind of just uh, makes the absolutely right formulation. But as you say, it could end up that it, it just doesn't smell right for the person who receives the... Yeah, I think definitely the robots are taking over and they will take Don't over. Don't say that. But, uh, but, but what robots can't do is be creative. You know, they don't have that capability 
to um, innovate and and also to create a, a story out of existing social constructs brands and ideas come from existing societies you know they feed off that and of course robots and ai that's a concept that is way beyond them so the innovators and the brand story and those types of things can um, only really come from human beings ai can help with um, formulating but it needs a human touch at the end um, products like these do do need a bit of a human touch. Yeah, and I also think you know it comes to branding versus these uh, super. Now maybe like um, dismissing my own business idea here, but but if you really look at the super personalized products, that's like uniquely for you and no one else in the world. I think what it's lacking is is the is the fact again that people want to belong to something. That's kind of why brands work. They people. Um, they choose certain brands because that's uh, indicates that you're, you know, you belong to a certain tribe. Um, and if you go and you just do this product just for you, it's it's um, y- you miss that. I think you miss the uh, oh, are you using? Uh, I don't know. You have Nikes. I have Nikes too. You know, like I don't know if you saw the Nike commercial that happened. Was it last week when they did? Um, What's his name? Korpenik, um, the football player. It kind of made even the NFL political. So, you know, there are two camps, one that supports him and the other one who doesn't support him. Nike took a very strong stand and they they backed him up and they included him in, in their um, latest uh, ad campaign. Uh, and of course, even Nikes then started to be politics. Like, are you wearing Nikes or not? Are you burning your Nikes? Then you have a and you know which team you're on, you know. So, um, but that's that's the future, isn't it? You have to take a stand. You have to stand for something, and um, you can't just say you're going to stand for something. You have to actually do it, and and your you know people have to see what you stand for, and they can either get behind you or 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 not. And that and that's that's great. I think that's what we've been dying for thing for for brands to do is to actually stand up and. And and have an opinion about things, and that's where it makes the going back to the AI and the, you know, just look at you and your DNA and you're and this is the perfect product for you, and again they miss the whole um, part, which is a brand, brand identity, um, the feeling to be part of something bigger, and so on. So uh, yes, there's no emotion in AI. No, exactly. Exactly. And we are an emotional industry. Until the robots totally take over. Yes, until they kill us all and then no one will care then. <laughs> exactly. Beauty Hackers going well. What else is happening, Katarina? Yeah, Beauty ha- yes, it's going well. Uh, we're over 12,000 subscribers now, which is fantastic. Uh, and we released the, the fourth episode just the other day. And no, it's fun. We actually, I the thing is I'm, I, I, you know, I see the numbers, but obviously, since I'm not in Colombia, I couldn't really, I can't really follow everything. But apparently, we were trending um, last week. It's like if someone was like looking for what's going on in beauty in Colombia, it was like the beauty hackers. So that was amazing. <laughs> but now how are you 
coping with that in terms of you're running your own business, you're also um, formulating for clients, and now you've got this other project, which I presume, you know, there'll be questions coming in and things you're having to deal with and things to be filmed and you do the podcast with me that has to be done and you have to devote time to that. How are you finding um, the demands on your time? Well, now I have, uh, now the kids are back to school and I have a nanny. So now it's good. (laughs) That's the dream. (laughs) I think it's all fun. I enjoy doing everything and then it, it gets easier. That's the important thing. As long as you enjoy it. Dare I mention the word beginning with a and ending in n amazon yeah see this is what i don't do and i should be doing but this is this is how, this is answer to your question right I, you know i do certain things and like amazon is just had become the bottom not the bottom of my list it's not but but um i it's it's on my t- it's on my list of things that i should do this week and it's been there for weeks and weeks now so that's my answer to that question how about you sam uh, well i'm getting I'm getting closer. I've uh, managed to get some paperwork in order. Um, And of course, when you're trying to get paperwork off manufacturers and things like that, it takes them time to go back to their paperwork and and collate everything and get it through to you. But we are getting there. I'm about to do another um, production run. Um, So that's quite busy dealing with... uh, you know, the packaging guys, the manufacturing guys, the um, uh, graphic designers and pulling that all together. I quite like doing that, desperately trying to get some more product in for Christmas. And I'm preparing to give a talk uh, for the SES up in the north of England about, uh, I think it's entitled, How Do You Sleep at Night? And it's a sort of a brand owner's struggle with trying to be as sustainable as possible whilst also being realistic in today's beauty industry yeah speaking of sustainability how's it going with your um plastic free packaging or degradable packaging yes so it's the biopolymer it's the source of the ethanol they use to make the plastic uh, which comes from we're switching from petrochemicals to uh, sugarcane the lead time has shot up to over 20 weeks uh, and um yeah so that's not great and of course when you're trying to manage your inventory and predict how much you're going to sell so you can manufacture in time and and manage your cash flow and all that side of stuff 20 weeks is is quite tricky so this production run we're going to stick with our um, recyclable uh, plastic tubes but we will be going to the biopolymer um, in the new year it's it's all the fun of running a small brand you know yourself um but we've had to put that off until then until not this production run but the next one yeah that's the challenge that's the challenge for small brands like i mean i think most small brands want to be very sustainable and uh just being as eco-friendly as you possibly can but that is the 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 problem right you're small you don't have the cash uh, you don't have the exactly to lock. I mean, to lock in inventory for twenty weeks, it's it's tough. I don't know how to solve that. I think maybe there should be a pool or something of smaller brands that just uh, go together to buy, increase the volumes of certain materials or certain packaging. I don't know. I mean, get around that somehow. I don't know. You know, if you're if you're bottles and labels, if you're a lab, if you do use labels, then um, you could probably do that. But if you're printing your tubes, then obviously that's bespoke to you and, and a bit 
tricky. Mm. But I think I think massive brands ha- have uh, problems, but their problems are just different. You know, their problems are are uh, something that yeah. you know we perhaps would only dream about. But um, that, you know, they'll have they'll have their issues with production runs and and getting things in the right place at the right time forecasts especially at christmas which is the busiest time of year and as a smaller brand i understand it you're always put at the bottom of the pile and you just have to suck it up and uh you know and and deal with it because you will always be pushed back um for the bigger client yeah exactly anyway sam well uh lovely to speak to you as always katarina and um let's catch up next week